Welcome to Game On Girl. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, and this is Season 3, Episode 2 of Game On Girl. In this episode, I interview writer, singer, and voice actor Michelle Deco. We talk about how she got into the game industry, her work with localization, and some of the challenges she faces in her work. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to her social media and website. And thanks so much for listening to Game On Girl. Michelle Deco is a voice actor, a singer, and a writer. Currently, she works as a localization writer and editor for a game developer in Southern California. In the past, Michelle has been a contributing editor to Game of Sutra, where she wrote in-depth articles about issues in the game industry, including game design. Michelle and I connected on Twitter, and after checking out her site and her bio, I knew I needed to interview her for the show. Michelle, welcome to Game on Girl. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad that we connected and finally found a time that worked for us. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that too. (laughs) As anyone who does interviews knows, uh, there's always the schedule to juggle. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I, I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we get started with you giving us a little bit about your background, um, uh, like some of your geeky interests. Oh, gosh, sure. I mean, I could spend the whole podcast just talking about it but um yeah so I mean basically I got into games when I was like a little kid I remember like the earliest memory I have was playing um Super Mario World when I was three years old and you know like I didn't know what I was doing I was just like pressing buttons and stuff like that but it was really cool just to see like another world Mm -hmm. and that kind of I guess that kind of like jump-started my interest in games so I grew up mainly like Mario series and then I transitioned into like the Final Fantasy series um I don't know like these like these these big like immersive worlds where you could be like a different character and so that was really cool for me and it just kind of stuck with me ever since then um so I would say like right now I'm more into Zelda now like I don't don't know why it's like as I got older like the Zelda series just like really appealed to me and so I just yeah I feel like that's like my new interest so Um, how do you I'm obviously you've played Breath of the Wild then yes oh yeah I just I finally finally beat it after like two years (laughs) I haven't took me so long (laughs) it's really good yeah it is a really good game but it is a really big game and <laughs> I, I yeah. appreciate the time it took you to do it. I I got it late and I'm I still only just got out of the starting area. Oh, okay, yeah. I like I just beat it, but I'm also like there's still so many things I have not done. Like I yes. could easily go for like another hundred hours. But yeah. yeah, so that's the game I've been playing like the most recently. And I'm really excited for the new um Animal Crossing to uh to come out. Like I know like once that comes out, that's all I'm playing. So yeah. I am looking yeah. that one too. Yeah. Yeah, fun. Awesome. So where, so, so would you say then if you were three, when you started playing or your first, one of your first memories is Super Mario World. Do you think that gaming was like your first fandom, like the first place you really kind of like got into um, geeking activities? I think so. Yeah. Like that's the first thing that I, that I remember doing in in terms of like, like a geeky thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I, and then I was taught how to play like platformers, um, shortly after that. I don't, I like for, as far as like other fandoms and stuff like that, I don't think I got into things like animation or anime maybe until I was like 
eight. Like I used to, I, I, wa- I used to watch the, uh, uh, Pokemon a lot, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. that. And then, uh, uh, Digimon too. And so, um, yeah, I would say like gaming was like the biggest thing that, and it's still like a driving force in my life now, especially, you know, I, I like, I work in games. So yeah. 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 (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So did it kind of lead in? So did your fandom kind of lead into you wanting to get into the game industry? Are those things connected to each other? I think so. Yeah. Like I remember, you know, fairly early on, like maybe when I was like 11, I wanted to be like a game writer, but I didn't know like what that, like what that entailed. So it's like, you know, I wasn't really told that you could go into gaming. Like I kind of got like the stereotypical, like, you know, you'll never have like a real job. You'll never blah, 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 blah. blah. And like, I, I listened to that and that kind of like deterred me like away from pursuing games. And I didn't go after them until like maybe five or six years ago. So Mm. yeah, I would say like, it was, you know, I, like, I kind of wish I hadn't like, I hadn't listened to those things, you know, it's kind of like, I kind of wish like I'd, I'd listened to, myself you know and been like no i want to you know be a you know be a writer for games you know whatever that you know that may that may be you know right right and just yeah. accepted that it was a thing i think you know it really is only just now coming to the under like the popular or the mass understanding mm-hmm. um that games and game um like the game industry as an industry is only coming to people understanding, Oh, you can actually work in games. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> is something you can, you can choose to train for and you can, you know, you can intern with different places and you can, mm-hmm. you can create and develop this kind of a career. Exactly. But for a lot of people and for a long time, it just seemed like this ephemeral thing like, Oh, well, you know, games just kind of appear, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think also, and even now, like, I think games were largely stigmatized, you know, we had the whole, like, you know, games cause violence thing, and I think that was also kind of, like, a driving force in, like, you know, you know, you know, don't go after games, they're, you know, they're, they're bad for you, and so I think there's, and I think there's still, like, that stigma that still surrounds the, the industry, too. I, I agree, absolutely. I think it's, it's so, it's so sad, because literally none of the research... (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, supports this at all, but like yeah. the mass media, and you know, and I always take it back in terms of the research. Like you look at every new technology that we've had mm-hmm. um, from books. Like they thought novels were going to drive people crazy, right? So <laughs> many words in the in the pages. Like right, women can't, especially women in particular, because this mm-hmm. was back during the time like when novels became popular when they thought that your uterus drove you crazy. Right. So, yeah. Like, in particular, like women can't be reading these novels. They're going to lose their minds. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. like novels, radio, telephones, when they first came out, like yeah. all those things, every time a new technology came out, everybody believed it was going to be the end of the world. Um, yeah. It was going to, you know, destroy, um, civilization and society because of these new technologies Mm -hmm. and games i think because they came about around the same time we started seeing a difference in gun violence yeah those things got equated to each other and it's really it's really sad that that ended up being the way that the narrative has gone for games because the truth is and the research holds out that games help people especially people who have 
difficulties with. Yeah. And I mean, I've spoken to countless people about like, you know, how games have like changed their life for, you know, the better. And I wish there was more of like a focus on that. Like, like games have helped people through like their toughest times of, of, you know, of their life. So yeah, yeah. I've heard so many stories. I, I talked to a woman who was talking about how, Gaming helped her through her divorce and Mm. other people who talked about like losing someone and losing a partner, losing a Mm -hmm. friend and having that, you know, being able to be in game and their in game communities being Mm -hmm. part of what helped together. So it really is it really can be like the most dynamic and amazing community. Mm -hmm. And that gets overshadowed by this idea that it makes people violent, which. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Again, people know yeah. research says yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> none of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, uh, that was slightly tangential, but still very no, no. It's okay, but it's, it's still like it, you know, it's 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 still like important to have those yeah. conversations too. Yeah, exactly. And if people are listening to this and are thinking about getting into the game industry, please know that this is an option. This is something that you can do. Mm-hmm. So so tell us a little bit about what kind of work you do. So you do localization, writing, and editing. So mm-hmm. explain to us what localization is sure so in a nutshell localization is the process of adapting a game for other territories so um there's a lot of like fields that are kind of like that are involved in the whole process so my expertise primarily comes from being like the writer and and the editor where i work with the translator on the text so the so the text um it's usually japanese to english so so the uh, translator translates it and then i basically get that text and i adapt it so that it makes sense for like um north american audiences um there's one thing i do want to make a distinction about like translation and localization they're very similar but they're not the same thing so with translation you know it's often a straight you know, Japanese to English translation, you know, like this is the original meaning. And then as, and then as far as like my loke work, sorry, I call localization loke Uh um, for, for, for short, because it's like localization is like a really long word. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, And, and, you know, and, and so with localization, I, you know, um, I have that text, but then it's like, I have to make sure that it makes sense for English speaking, uh, audiences so things like you know if there's like you know like japanese you know riddle or um or like wordplay you know that may not make sense and that may actually not work in um in english so i may have to find you know like um a uh, a different one um and there's other components as well into what loke is so there can be like uh coordination work so you know you may have more like um publishing roles so you may do like QA you may do ratings you may do uh submission so it's kind of like an umbrella field with like different subsets right okay yeah it's 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 a lot <laughs> yeah well yeah. and that's what i've always wondered and i've I, like i know what localization is and i understand kind of the process so mm-hmm. what i find fascinating about it is so you have to have um kind of like a focus on culture as well. Yes. It's not just the language. Like, I mean, anybody can pop, you know, a string of text into a translator and come up with what the words mean. Right. Um, But that doesn't carry the story and it doesn't carry the impact it needs to for the culture. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's part of what you're looking at too, is like, okay, um, this symbol or this riddle, like you said, as your example, has Mm -hmm. this, 
cultural significance, perhaps, in Japan. So I need to find something that holds kind of a similar place or position. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and you have to consider those things in terms of like, you know, if they're going to be like a progression blocker, you know, like I can't keep those in because, you know, players, you know, they'll get stuck because, you know, the, you know, it like the, uh, the meaning literally will not translate well into, right. into English. And, 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 and so it's, it's, it's also just, it's, it's being aware of that and right. knowing, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I would like to use this, but if I'm a player, you know, it is going to impact the user experience. And so right. I, and, and so I will have to actually, um, adapt it. Interesting. So mm -hmm. have you run into like problems with that? Have you ever had an issue where you like change something around and it didn't work the way that you thought it would or any, anything like, like has there, are there hitches in this process? Um, there can be, but actually, Fortunately, um, at least in my personal experience, I haven't had too many problems. There was a game that I worked on that did have that um, that riddle problem. And so I did have to create like, you know, I did have to come up with a new like, you know, uh, English riddle. Right. Um, but for, uh, fortunately, for the most part, that hasn't been too much of an issue. And I think also in, um, you know, in in newer games, you know, we are seeing that some of these like, you know, maybe like back then um a lot of things that were you know like more japanese like like food culture right. customs you know those you know those did have to be um adapted but as we're seeing more of like a globalization movement those mm -hmm. things you know those things are actually kept in you know right yeah right. yeah now that we like globalization has brought like a lot of japanese culture to us right you know? mm -hmm. like uh green tea Kit Kats or other things like that. Oh, those are so good. No, <laughs> I want one now. <laughs> oh, they're, they're so good. So good. They're so good. <laughs> be careful because you do have to remember they are tea and there is caffeine. So if you are sensitive to caffeine, yeah. <laughs> you can eat a bunch of them and not have great outcomes. Uh, yeah, I did that later. once. I was like, yeah. whoops. <laughs> same, same. Um, but yeah, but things like that where we're so much more familiar with um, I want to say anime to a degree, um, mm, and, mm -hmm. and just like, and Japanese games, um, and the cultures that sort of kind of come from that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm trying to think of some other examples of things that aren't necessarily game oriented that we're more familiar with, but I think there was like, maybe like an anime that, you know, I don't remember exactly like which one, but for, you know, like say, you know, there was you know, an item called like red bean paste, you know, that right. might've been originally localized as, I don't know, uh, like butter or, right. um, or something, but now, you know, yeah. red bean paste, more people are more familiar right. with that. So, yeah. you know, that stays in for, for instance. Yeah. So, so like, again, like there's been this shift toward more of that, like global, like, uh, movement where people are more aware of different cultures, you know, and their customs too. Yeah. And, and more inclined now, I think to, um, incorporate other cultures and those kinds of things into their own, into their experience too. Mm -hmm. Like you say, red bean paste. And I'm like, Oh, I need to go for sushi soon. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. So that must be, so have you been able to see, like, you've been able to see some of that, like, evolution in the localization process where you don't have to change as much that you might have even, like, three or four years ago. Exactly, yeah. And there's even, like, some games, you know, that may be, you know, a game that's sat in a more, like, traditionally, like, uh, you know, Japanese town, you do want to leave, you know, you like you do want to keep you do want to keep those cultural references in because if you you know if you um if you westernize it then it's going to kind of be like looked down upon but i think again people are also more you know accepting and more supportive and also more aware you know of right. these different cultures and so like they do want to see more of that um like the um authenticity as well right yeah well i imagine it's a fine line to walk to walk like you said you can't have it impact um, player progress and you can't Mm -hmm. have it impact uh, user experience but at the same time you don't want to take the flavor and the experience away from the game as well yeah exactly so I think with that there's also you have to strike a fine balance between okay here you know here's the original intended Mm -hmm. meaning but also we do want a little bit you know we do want to have this creative freedom and really flavoring this text so I think it's one of those conversations you have to have on super earlier it's like okay how do we strike this fine right. balance? Yeah, exactly. Like, how do we play this so we make sure that we get each piece of this kind of, like, incorporated and... Exactly. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm feeling there's a lot of responsibility in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. But there's also, I think, in that, there's also a lot of collaboration. So, you know, it's really, you know, in my experience, working with the translator, you know, as close as possible, you know, mm-hmm. to and 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 sometimes with the devs to make sure that, you know, those, you know, that that's taken into uh, consideration. Right. right. And you catch the nuance, both of what of what needs to be communicated and mm-hmm. what needs to be played. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It sounds mm-hmm. it sounds fascinating. I've always been interested. I'm really glad I get to talk to you about this because I've always oh, yeah. been interested about that cultural like like how do you make sure that the game translates so that we understand it in this culture, but it doesn't lose what was intended, what was the author intended. Yeah. And it's always, you know, it is it is it can be difficult. You know, mm-hmm. it's always like, you know, again, like how do we keep what, you know, what the original author wants but it's also like how, you know will this make sense for you know north american players so yeah. it's really just striking that balance is yeah. like it's it it is a constant challenge right yeah it sounds like it so what's been your favorite project you've worked on oh that's an easy one <laughs> um <laughs> definitely uh the liar princess and the blind prince that's the title like i go back to like all the time it's such a like it's such a wonderful title. And it was a really uh, unique experience for me because my my expertise in um, in localization mainly lies in JRPGs. So, you know, I know like the tropes of like, you know, the shy girl, the tough man, right. uh, silent protagonist, blah, blah, blah. But this one, because it was just so narrative driven and I never really worked on like a fairy tale narrative story. So I was like, whoa, this is going to be different yeah like really so i ended up um to kind of get into the style of what i'd like to write in i actually went back home um and gathered like all the children's books i could find like all like all the fairy tales by hans christian uh hans christian anderson um the brothers Grimm, and just like i just read them i just read them like from start to finish because um oftentimes you know for you know when you're w- um when you are translating and when you're um you're editing 
you want to have an idea of like how you'd like to style it in. Right. Um, so it, you know, if you're not familiar with a certain genre, then you maybe then then you might want to play a game in that, you know, in, you know, in that. Right. So it's like, right. you know, if I'm not familiar with like baseball, I'm going to want to play like a baseball game because, mm-hmm. you know, there's like, you know, sense. sports, you, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, sports uh, terminology, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I did that with this. And so when I came back, to the text, I had an idea of how I should take the translation and, you know, make it sound like it did come straight out of like, you know, a, a fairy tale book. Right. So you could catch the, the tone and the, the expression right. from, exactly. from fairy tales. Yeah. 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 That's so awesome. yeah, it was great. And so I, you know, it's, it's, it's always heartwarming for me when it's like, I work so hard on a game and then I hear like, Oh my God, the story you know, was great. I'm just like, Oh, yay. (laughs) I'm so happy. (laughs) I bet. And so I'm assuming you got a lot of positive feedback on, on the liar princess and the blind prince. I did. And it's, and it was just great. Cause like, it's, it, it, it was also like, again, it was a genre that I wasn't familiar with. And so it's like, I wanted to do it justice, you know, like I wanted to nail that, that tone, that style, the yep. narrative parts of it and also but to also make sure that i was adhering to the uh the original meaning right and the original narrative and keeping mm-hmm. to it right um, what what i so i i have i i do a presentation actually on on fairy tales and superheroes oh. and like you know like comparing how how fairy tales really influence superhero stories. So mm-hmm. I have a little bit of expertise in fairy tales. So what are some of your favorite fairy tales or stories that maybe you discovered through this research? Oh gosh, uh, let me think. So I the collection of the Hans Christian Andersen books and mm-hmm. the and the Brothers Grimm because it was like a whole like uh, it, it was an entire co- uh, collection. collection? Yeah. I think there was a Brothers Grimm story. I don't remember what it was, but I think it involved like a princess and like three brothers. And it was just fascinating to read that because it, you know, like I, most people, um, if they think of fairy tales, they'll automatically think of Disney, yes. you know, so they'll think yep. of like Snow White um, yes. uh, and yeah. Cinderella, Cinderella, you know, yeah. but yeah. like a lot of these books in, especially in the Brothers Grimm are really, really dark. <laughs> So dark. <laughs> and I was just like, ooh, so dark. yeah. And so it's just like, yeah. it was fascinating to sometimes read like, um, like the original stories and be like, oh, wow, that is not Disney at all. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love I'm one of my favorite examples of that is, um, I mean, Cinderella is such a such a bland story. Disney style, right? But you read the original text and the stepsisters were like mutilating themselves. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, oof. Feet to fit in that slipper, like one cut her toes off. Oh yeah. It's just it's bloody and violent and you know, they weren't kid stories, and that's the other thing really don't understand is that fairy tales were not kids stories mm-hmm. disney turned them into kids stories and we have since sort of adapted them to that but they were you know told around the fire and salons mm-hmm. and you know spread by word of mouth and and then written down by hans christian anderson and the brothers Grimm, and like mm-hmm. you know made record that way but mm-hmm. it's just it's such a fascinating process i always love when people kind of realize that and when i've done that presentation before and i've been like yeah so how much rape did you know was in your fairy tales? <laughs> yeah. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. 
there was quite a lot that, you know, kind of got edited out of these stories. Yeah. Uh, isn't necessarily bad. It's just, it's made them something different that they were, but it's mm-hmm. fun to have that like realization of, Oh, this isn't exactly what I thought. It was. Exactly. Yeah. And Prince Charming maybe wasn't everything he was. Right. Up. Exactly. <laughs> So what was maybe one of the like the challenging projects that you worked on? Or was this a challenging project because you had to learn so much about it? Yeah, I think it was also for me, it was a challenging project just because again, it was like doing something outside of I guess what I consider my comfort, my both my comfort zone and my expertise or my area of 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 expertise. Expertise. And so Yeah. yeah, I was just you know, if I was you know, if I'm you know, if I localize a GRPG, it's not I I wouldn't say it's easy, but I have an idea. Whereas for this one, um, because I'm totally like, I'm not familiar with the genre. There's going to be a little bit more work that's involved to make sure that I do capture that style and that tone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They catch the intention of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being a little different. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like when the projects that like help you kind of grow, um, because they're challenging end up becoming your favorite too. Cause you recognize mm-hmm. you kind of got out of it too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the teacher in me right there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit, um, let, let's go into kind of like what it's like for you to be working in the game industry. So you're a woman working in the game industry. Mm-hmm. Are there some sort of challenges you faced since it's intends to be a traditionally masculine field? Mm-hmm. I would say, at least in my personal experience, um, I've I feel like I've been one of the more fortunate ones to maybe not have faced as you know as many barriers as like as some of my uh, uh, colleagues. But I feel like for me, I think the biggest challenge for me has always been to like feeling like I have to prove my worth more, mm-hmm. you know, like to prove like, Hey, I'm just as good as these other people. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of that self doubt can kick in, yeah. you know, if I'm like the only person of my type there, right. um, I feel like, Oh, do I really belong here? And the answer is, yeah, I do. You, you know, yeah. but I think it's just, you know, it kind of, you know, I keep that in like the back of my head, you know, like mm-hmm. I do have to prove my worth a lot more. I feel right. Do you feel yeah. like that comes into play? Cause you're also a woman of color. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of, every one of those things that gets you kind of a little farther away from like the standard norm, mm-hmm. um, makes it at least more, more difficult or per- perhaps more challenging. Do you think that that's contributed to it somewhat too? I think so too. You know, it's like, and I think the good thing is that we are seeing more of a shift towards more of that, um, like more, um, in, uh, inclusivity and so it's like there is more of you know like everyone can you know like like anybody can you know play games and make games and so there is more of that cultural shift but it's also like the like the you know the like those barriers are still there you know even as they're you know and they are unconscious there you know but sorry unconsciously there um so i think having those you know being you know uh a woman POC, um, there's like, I feel like that, you know, proving my worth has to be like twofold, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it does come into play. I do try not to let it like, um, uh, uh, affect me, but I think it's just, it's still there somewhat. Well, I would imagine, you know, any environment like this, you know, at this last, um, semester I teach women's studies, um, Mm -hmm. and I taught my students about microaggressions. Mm. Um, and I showed him a video um, 
equating microaggressions to mosquito bites. And so it's like, oh, oh, those are painful. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I mean, both are. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like you know, some people get one or two mosquito bites and that's like an annoyance. But if you have like 20 in a day, mm, like, yeah, the impact of it builds up. Right. And so you mm-hmm. get more and more and more. And I know that the game industry is working um, to not just be more inclusive, but to recognize their own biases and to recognize, yes, you know, some of, because there have been some unfortunate incidents, you know, yeah, we can't, you know, have a conversation about women of color in the game industry and not recognize, you know, this hasn't always been the case. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, oh, sorry, go on. No, you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I, I, um, just to like, just to, to add to that, I think, you know, that like, the industry is moving and changing toward that. And I think it's also, there are more voices that need to be heard and more stories that have to be told. And so I think there is that movement that, that shift toward that. It still has like a long way to go though. Yeah. I, and you know, and so, so does society in general. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think again, kind of tying back to what we were talking about before with games being like the newest form of media, it's mm-hmm. also, you know, a new, a new industry. And with right. all of those, those industries and with all of those like steps and movements forward, we have mm-hmm. the same kind of, you know, evolution that has to happen. Exactly. Um, it starts in one kind of group and then grows and the diversity changes and the represent the representations change as well mm-hmm. uh, in the game. So um, do you think, do you, do you, do you see that? Do you see that as like a process happening as someone who's like looking from the inside of the game industry? Yeah, I, I think there is. And I think the best thing that's been going on is that there's just more conversation. You know, I think a lot of these things were just kind of swept, like, yeah. you know, they, they, they you know, they were just kind of sh- like swept underneath the rugs. It's like, oh, it just happened to this to like this one person, but no, it's been happening to like a lot of people. And so it's like right. when you know when you know as those comp- you know like the the first step toward you know acknowledging that is to just talk about it. You know, yeah. let's see. You know, let's you know um, like um, let's recognize the uh, problem, and then okay, let's you know let's work towards you know um, some sort of solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we can there there is that 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 process has happened and even that is is a significant change of acknowledging that there is this issue and that you know, when I started doing my research and I started looking at at video games and women gamers, it was like, oh, everybody's like, oh, women play games, you know? And yeah. Like, you know, this was 10 years ago. So, yeah, you know, a lot definitely changed now. Right. But even back then, it was like, oh, we need to be writing games that women are interested in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Your biggest growing group of gamers right now are women, you know, women, yeah. of, you know, in like their 30s. So like, you know, yeah, you need to kind of pay attention to this. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, but thankfully that doesn't that's not really the case anymore like the 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 industry is definitely sort of recognizing that you know women buy games because it still comes down to the numbers right exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> thankfully uh that's that's recognized um so in terms of like your department that you work in uh, since you're working as a writer and editor, are there more women that work in your department? And is like programming and coding sort of still more a male area? Or do you see a lot of kind of diversity all around happening? Um, It's 
I would say it's pretty uh, diverse. I would say like there's a pretty good balance. You know, everyone's really supportive of of each other too. So I think there is more of like there is like a balance there. Um, I know that there's uh, some other people that I you know that I have worked with you know like in the past where you know like that wasn't the case. But I think again like oh like overall like there is more of that shift you know like especially for like hiring uh, mm -hmm. processes like you know recognizing their biases too. Right. By these, excuse me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, that's good. That's good. Because I always worry that, like, how do we say this? Um, the softer areas of the industry end up being more where w more women are um, represented. Oh, like, yeah, of course. Right. You know, like marketing or writing or things like that, rather than kind of more of like the hard sciencey coding sections. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I, I like again, like with that shift, like, I know, I know, like there's been like an uptick in like, you know, like STEM fields and, and like, mm -hmm. uh, yes. STEM, uh, STEM programs for, for women. And so like, I'm really glad to see like that, like that's changing, you know, just getting, you know, women, you know, involved, like from, you know, like from the start too. Right. So I think it's like, you know, like the earlier, the, uh, the earlier, the, the earlier, the better. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think that that's good. I was working with a group called girls who code. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Doing, um, 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 club at my local library um, mm -hmm. for a couple of years. And um, that was part of my reason was like, you know, girls need to be able to know that they can do this kind of stuff. What right. was interesting was, you know, I think I'm coming into and I'm going to have a bunch of girls who are thinking that they can't do this. And like, mm. they already had plenty of coding experience <laughs> Right. <laughs> when I got there. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not exposing you to coding. I am just helping you, you know, <laughs> right improve your skills because there definitely has been a shift in mm -hmm. and also in like it just being cool like it's it's cool to know yeah. now like that's mm -hmm. okay we're I'm good with that if it need it can be cool to code <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how did you so you said it earlier that you kind of uh, was what five or six years ago you moved into the working in the game industry mm -hmm. um, and so what's some of what you were doing before that and like how did you kind of get into to the place you're at now yeah, so I actually originally used to work in the education field. So okay. I kind of going back to like being discouraged from playing or from pursuing a career in games. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, again, like, you know, you want a real job, blah, blah, blah. And right. so yeah. I was like, okay, I guess I can't go into games or I shouldn't. So I went into, um, into education. And so while I was good at it, um, you know, I was like, I still, I still didn't feel like it was exactly like my mm. passion. So I, mm -hmm. you know, I got my, my master's and I worked, uh, at a school for about two years. Um, and that was a contract job. So then that mm -hmm. ended. Um, and I went to China. Um, I got to travel for a bit, but then after that, you know, I, I like, I came back home and I was like, okay, I'm going to find a job in education, you know, like a permanent one mm -hmm. in like three months. Well, three months passed by and it's like, well, what's going on? This is not good. <laughs> right. Um, and so, um, after, you know, that went on for actually eight months. So for eight months, I didn't have a job. And so I thought to myself, there was just like a day I was applying to jobs and I was like, you know, if I'm going to make a career change, I should do it now. You know, I'd right. rather do it now, start, you know, you know, uh, from scratch and work my way, uh, like, mm -hmm. like, up to where I want to be. So I started applying to um, game tester jobs. And so Square Enix um, called me. And so I ended up, I, you know, I, I worked there for about eight, eight, like eight months. And I worked a bunch of contracts for 
a few years until I got to my current role. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely like, it was just a whirlwind journey. And I think also, okay. you know, people who are in games industry, a lot of them had really diverse paths. And so I think people, sometimes they only see like, you know, where we are, but like right. the journey itself was such a struggle, <laughs> you know, it's so hard yeah. just to get to where, you know, you know, I like, it was so hard to get to where I wanted to be. And also because, you know, working on contracts, yeah. you know, there, you know, there's, de- there's always, you know, there's never a guarantee, yep. you know, that you'll stay there, you know, yep. full time. And so that was also like a hard part. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, I think that's one thing that we often overlook. That was one of the things actually I took away from the girls who code club was looking at these girls who were most of the girls in my club were in junior high mm-hmm. and they already knew what career they wanted like mm-hmm. what they were going to major in in college. And I'm like, what? Wow. You're 13. <laughs> <laughs> you are 13. Like I had, you know, had loose ideas when I was that age, but I went through so many different changes before I got to even to college. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, their, their ideas might change, but there's so much pressure now to like choose like a path that's like straight to a job. Yeah. Yeah. And I really have this like, idea that like the kind of journey you're talking about is not just becoming more common for the game industry and for other places, but mm-hmm. it should be the way people go. You should take the year, go to China. You should do a couple years here, a couple years there and figure out the things that work for you. So, you know, like if you have been directed toward education or directed away from what you want to do, Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do a couple of years in that and figure out it's not what you want and that lets exactly. you move toward it. But I think it's super important for people to recognize that the game industry kind of works that way. Everybody that I've talked to that I know who's in the game industry has this journey of like, oh, yeah, so I was working here and then the layoffs happened. And then, you know, I just I picked up a contract here and then I did this and I did that. Mm-hmm. And then like all these like jumps and steps back and forth to what finally got to either where they were or to the set of skills that they wanted to get closer to the job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, I feel like there's no real set pathway into this, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like people and people can come, you know, people who are in marketing, for instance, they may not have done like game marketing, but they've done maybe like social media for like, uh, you know, a, a huge brand. And so like right. there, you know, like there's no real, there's no one right or like, there's no right or wrong pathway right. into, you know, it, um, it, uh, into games. Like, I think it definitely helps to have the passion for it. Yeah. Um, but you know, like every person's journey is different, you yeah. know, people come from a, you know, from a diverse array of like, uh, fields too. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think that's another piece that kind of ties back to the game industry being so new. They really can draw from pretty much, you know, every different industry. Right. Um, And because there is so much that kind of like comes into game development, Um, which is interesting that a lot of people aren't really thinking about what it takes to make a game. I did Mm -hmm. a presentation a couple of months ago and somebody had mentioned that they had read an article that, you know, the game industry actually provides more jobs and than the movie industry does. And, and I was like, that's interesting. Like I haven't heard that, but if you think Mm -hmm. about it, like a movie set runs six to eight months or whatever, Mm -hmm. your movie's finished. There may be a sequel, 
Right. But you don't have downloadable content and you don't right. have to maintain servers and you don't have to fix glitches. Like mm, that's a good <laughs> you, point. Yeah. You start thinking about what goes into running modern games because it's not a cartridge that you plug into your Atari, you know. Right. <laughs> exactly. Nintendo. Yeah. You know, it, it, there there are large dynamic you know, interfaces now that have a lot mm-hmm. more to them. Um, and in some ways, some games are never really finished. Like if you yeah. are in role-playing games or, you know, MMORPGs. Yeah. Those games go on forever. So Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that also includes like content, like, you know, there's like, yeah. you know, updates to like the website or like, yep. you know, like, um, like books or like trailers or movies or shorts. Like there's so many other components that like yep. that aren't just games too. Right, exactly, exactly. That spawn these entire, you know, uh, networks and fandoms and geekdoms where you mm-hmm. kind of like have people who, you know, who, who write fan fiction or, you know, whatever else kind of comes of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, build their communities through the games. And, you know, there is some of that that happens through movies as well, but right. definitely not to the same degree there is to games. And I think mm-hmm. it's that immersive you know, interaction, you know, you feel part of a game. Yeah. That's you don't too. necessarily feel part of a movie. I mean, you might connect to the characters, but you don't, you're not controlling what happens. So, right. It's, exactly. It's, it's, you know, it, it's just, you know, a, you know, two hour thing and that's okay. Right. Oh, you know, okay, I'm done. But like games can span. I mean, my God game, you know, you could be playing a game for like 200 hours and you're still not done, you know, know. <laughs> yeah. so you can be really, you know, you can really immerse yourself in these yeah. massive, massive worlds that continue to, yeah. you know, grow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think it's fascinating the way that's kind of changed and, and how it seems like your career or a lot of careers of people in the game industry reflect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of that kind of dynamic, you know, nature of the, the media itself. It's a it's an interesting connection to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that, you have you have a lot of different experience, right? So, so you're yep. working as a localization expert and writer and editor, but mm-hmm. you're also a voice actor and a singer and you do your own kind of like creative writing too, right? Yeah. So I try to like, you know, I love my job, but it's, I think it's also important to have like other things that I'm doing. So with voiceover, um, I started doing that about, oh gosh, 10, 15 years ago and sort of went professional about in the, like the most past, like most past recently, excuse me, words, uh, uh, maybe in the past, like a couple of, of, of years. So, um, and then like with singing, I grew up in like singing in choirs. And so I think for me, it's just like for singing, it's just a great outlet to also connect with like other people and just right. to sing great, um, great music. I sang with, um, with, uh, Angel City Corral, who actually appeared on uh, America's Got Talent a couple yeah. of uh, of years ago. So that was a lot of fun. So yeah, and then as far as like writing like on the side, I think it's important, like in any profession that you're in to kind of keep your brain fresh. So obviously, yeah. like you're, you know, you're doing your job, like I'm doing like my local work, you know, you know, with like with writing and editing. But I think it's also important to kind of like train your brain and keep your, you know, keep your toolbox, you know, healthy. So I do, I do a lot more creative, like, you know, like short stories, you know, on the side too. So it it, kind of helps me to like to stay fresh as well. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to, I love that phrase right there. Keep your brain fresh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and I, yeah, I say writing begets writing, right? So exactly. So yeah. The more writing you do and when you're writing for work and it, you know, even if you love your job, it's still an obligation. Mm-hmm. So writing for pleasure in addition to it. So you don't lose 
what you love about it, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the thing. It's like sometimes, you know, especially working in the game industry, you know, yeah. burnout can happen. But so it's yeah. important to kind of keep your passion alive, you know, right. like, you know, yeah. why did you, you know, you know, find the reason of why you, you know, why you entered the industry in the first place too. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And you keep that, you keep that, that fire going and keep that passion going. I think that's mm-hmm. really important for sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I love that. I love that you have like so many different kind of like creative things that you work with and that they end up informing <coughs> your work too, or end mm-hmm. up helping keep work and balance. I think that's exactly. something people need to pay attention to as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. I might need uh, some of that myself, but right. <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been truly a pleasure talking with you today, Michelle. Yeah, you have great other, like thoughts or things you'd like to share with our listeners. Um, wow. I, I feel like we covered a lot. I think the only other thing I was going to mention is I don't remember if I talked about a little bit about like the globalization process, mm-hmm. but also like, you, you know, as like, as there's this shift toward, you know, more culture, like, you know, being like um, the shift toward awareness of more of more cultures, a lot of mm-hmm. people around the world want to see, you know, these huge, like, tr- like games, you know, localized into mm-hmm. um, uh, their languages. So, um, uh, so oftentimes in LOC, um, we have like, you know, English to figs, which is French, Italian, German, and, um, and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, a lot of the games here that are made by, uh, uh, by Western devs get translated into figs, but you have a, a, like a lot of other territories who are like, Hey, I, you know, right. I want to play these games too. And, you know, especially as there's like a, you know, like the, um, the rise of like how many games are, you know, just, you know, how many games are, you know, uh, uh um, available plus you know you have games on smartphones on consoles on tablets on computers you know there are so many more people playing games and i so i so i think especially for localization in general there is more of a shift toward you know other people want to play these big games too so yeah yeah. that's really important so do you think um how, how do you think people in those other areas could maybe um i want to say agitate or uh um try to try to get try to be heard in terms of like wanting to have these games translated into their language i think there's um i'm trying to think there's there's definitely a there's definitely a lot like there's definitely more um accessibility Mm -hmm. um in terms of like being able to connect with these um uh uh developers so you know there may be like you know a dev you know will you know will have like a like a like a a a suggestion box where it's like hey you know like you know what are some ideas you have and so so you know some people maybe like hey i would love this you know i would you know i'd love to you know i'd love to see this game translated into x language you know right Um, there's also a lot more like um translation agencies that may specialize in these um and these um in these languages so you know Mm -hmm. they may you know outsource their work to like you know we don't you know we you know like we don't translate into Mm -hmm. uh you know um uh uh this language, but hey, maybe, you know, maybe this agency does. And so, you know, we'll, we'll outsource them, you know, and, you know, make sure that, you know, players, you know, from this territory can play our games too. Right. Right. Awesome. So, yeah. So kind of getting in touch with devs, like, I don't know, just making your voice heard, that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that's that's kind of how change comes when we're, exactly. when we're loud about it, right? <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So where can our listeners find you? Oh, gosh. Um, so I'm usually mostly on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Michelle, uh, Michelle underscore Deco. So my like, I for, like, for some reason, the Michelle Deco one is gone. I'm like, who took yeah. it? So yeah, so um, but also, if, um, also, if you just search uh, Michelle D- uh, Deco, um, with two L's and D E C O. Um, you should, uh, you should find me if you want to connect with me, um, professionally, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, just like connect with me. I'm more than happy to answer any like other, um, localization questions that, uh, you may have. Awesome. That's great. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on and chatting with me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. A huge thank you to Michelle for talking to me today and sharing her insights on the game industry. I think this interview was a great way to kick off the new season of the show and set the tone for the year. Make sure to check out Michelle's info in the show notes and my write-up about the episode on thegeekembassy.com. Until next time, game on. Game on.